holy things. But does doing all these things make us holy? Is that how uh, sinners serve a holy God? Well, let's go back to Haggai. Uh, let's see what he says in today's text. Uh, and just a quick comment on the uh, context. Um, I'll just touch this briefly. So Haggai was set in 521 BC. Uh, this was after the exile um, from Babylon, where God's people had been previously been captured by King Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC. Uh, in 538 BC, King Cyrus of the Persian Empire uh, conquered Babylon, and then he set all captured people free to go back to their homelands. And so previously, in Haggai, the prophet Haggai has spoken to the people on behalf of God to rebuild God's temple. And when some of the older Israelites saw that the temple was not going to be as grand as King Solomon's temple back in the day, uh, God spoke to them again uh, through Haggai to be strong and continue the rebuild, for God was with them. Okay, so now to our text. Uh, God was speaking a third time through Haggai, and this time he was speaking on holiness. And he opens up with this question to the priests in verse 12. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Now, Haggai here isn't asking this question to the priest to get an answer. He already knows the answer. I mean, he's a prophet, isn't he? Haggai is making a point here. Just because something is holy, uh, something else cannot be made holy just by its touch. And he continued with another question in verse 13. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dog body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. So when um, something clean touches uh, something unclean, the unclean thing does not become clean. See way around, doesn't it? The clean thing becomes unclean by the touch of the unclean thing. Let me put it another way. So as you can tell from this strange accent, I'm English. And uh, of course, I play football, and so soccer to you guys. And we play on very muddy pitches, not like the pristine fields that you have here. And so picture this. I've just scored a goal. I've done a wild celebration. I've dived on the ground, I've spread my arms out everywhere, and I've got mud all over me. Every mother's nightmare. And my teammates, they come over to me and they give me high fives. Does the high five from their nice, sanitised, clean hands make my muddy, unclean hands clean? No, of course not. It's the other way around, isn't it? My teammates' hands become dirty from my muddy hands, and my hands still have mud on them. So can you see the point that uh, Haggai is making here? 
When unclean things touch clean things, the clean things become dirty. They become unclean, they become unholy, and this is how it is with sinners. Because look at the next statement from Haggai, and it is absolutely crushing. He said in verse 14, then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people, and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now put yourself in the position of someone hearing this. You are one of God's people. And you hear that you are unclean. That you are unholy. And anything you touch becomes dirty with you. And it doesn't matter what you do. You can lay a few bricks on the foundation of the temple, you can do many good deeds, you can sing God's praises all you like. But doing any of those things by themselves will not make you holy. In the sight of God, everything you do, everything you touch becomes stained because you yourselves are not clean. And it gets worse. Haggai continues from verse 15. Now then, Consider from this day onward, before a stone was placed upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight, and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree has yielded nothing. The work of God's people has yielded nothing. God says, effectively here through Haggai, to his people, that they are unclean. That they try and do good, but their efforts are half-hearted. And in return, God struck them with hardship, and they still did not turn to him. And their work is no good. The passage is showing that God's people cannot be holy in their own strength. This is the key point. God's people cannot come to God with what they bring alone. It is the same for us. We cannot achieve holiness in our own strength. We cannot achieve holiness by our own good works. We were born with the condition of original sin inherited from our forefathers and unholy things cannot make themselves holy. We cannot make ourselves clean. Whew, this is depressing stuff so far, isn't it? So what was the hope that God gave his people through Haggai back then? Where is the good news in this text? Well, look at the end of verse 19 and it is wonderful. Just a few words, but God says this. But from this day on, I will bless you. 
From this day on, I will bless you. Wonderful. God reached out to his people and he gave them hope. He blessed them. They were given hope, the only hope, the hope that lies in God alone. God gave his people grace. And his holiness was such that it made the unclean clean. Only the divine could truly clean the unclean. Now we cannot achieve holiness by ourselves. It can only be received. And our holy standing before God had been granted us despite us being sinners. That is the blessing from God for Ephesians 2, uh, 8-10. I'm sure you know this well. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so it is in God's grace that he sent his son Jesus to die for others. The Holy Son of God died for unholy, unclean sinners. And he proved his holiness was able to make anyone clean. Anyone. And that's why we had the Bible reading from uh, Mark's Gospel earlier, because newsflash, dead girls cannot make themselves alive. The bleeding woman of 12 years could not stop her bleeding. Neither had the power to make themselves clean. The dead girl, well, she had her dad plead to Jesus on her behalf when she was dying. The bleeding woman, well, she spent everything she owned to stop her bleeding. They could not stop bleeding death themselves in their own strength. Yet one command from Jesus and the dead girl wakes up. Twelve years of bleeding for the woman suddenly stopped, both made sure by Christ, both made clean by Jesus. And we know as Christians that because of the, the death of Jesus at the cross, that Jesus transferred his clean righteousness, his clean living, his clean standard onto us and our unholy sin unto him. Our debt, our uncleanness, it's been dealt with. It's been paid in full. And that is the gospel, isn't it? I mean, that's the reason why we are here. So when God sees us now, he sees the righteousness of Christ on us. We are clothed in the clean robes of Christ Jesus. Yet, we still sin. It's inherent in our fallen condition, even as saved Christians. For the flesh is indeed weak. And some of, some of us may be wondering, well, what good thing can a weak person like me do for God? How can sinners serve a holy God? This is the question we want to answer today. 
Well, there's two answers. Uh, the first one we've already touched upon uh, is because God first blessed his people. He has blessed his people by saving them. And he has blessed us with his words so that we can check our hearts daily to see what areas we need to work in so that we can strive to live more for him. Not to be saved, but because we have been saved. And when we strive for holiness, others will see it too. Remember what it said in Peter's text earlier, that if we possess the qualities of holiness in increasing measure, they will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we are giving God praise and glory, and we are living for Him, especially in the most trying times of our lives, others will see what the Kingdom of God is like. And people will then hear that we don't do good things to get God. We already have God. We get to do good things for God because He first blessed us and He can bless others too. And so our response to him ought to be one of gratitude, one of joy, one of service that seeks to live for him. Because as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, we are a new creature in Christ. If you are here and you are saying, Jesus is my Lord and Saviour, then you are a new creation. In Christ, you are a child of God. Say it with me. I am a child of God. Awesome. Own that promise. And no matter what our circumstances are, our response to God ought to be one of joyful service. Because God has saved us from hell forever. Forever. For he has blessed us mightily. He has made us his children. That is the true blessing. And even when we mess up big time, he still has not let us go. For in John 10, uh, 27 to 29, it says, this is what Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. We are children of God. Own that promise. And the second answer is because God has allowed us to serve him. Let me uh, reread verses 20 to 23 here. So from verse 20, I'll put it on the screen as well. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, 
each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant of Abraham, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. So you can see in the text there that God used Haggai to tell Zerubbabel that God will make Zerubbabel like his signet ring. Now, uh, a signet ring is different to normal rings. Uh, a signet ring back in Old Testament times, it was used as a symbol to represent uh, the family. Um, a signet ring well, it would have the family crest on it, uh, which sets you apart and represents a family that uh, you belong to. Uh, a signet ring well, is also used to sign documents. And whatever they used to sign documents uh, back in those times, it was probably wax or something, uh, you used a signet ring with the family crest on it to press into the melting wax uh, to approve whatever was in uh, the document. And so you would use the signet ring to complete tasks on behalf of the family. Now, God also said that he is the one who will shape the heavens and the earth, and who will overturn evil powers. He showed that in the most powerful way through his son Jesus Christ at the cross, who defeated death and Satan to rescue the people of his kingdom. So ultimately, God is the one doing the work of his kingdom. But he calls his servants, his people, to do tasks for him. And those tasks will be completed with God's authority because they have the signet ring of the kingdom of God. Now, Zerubbabel, he was given the task to uh, look after Judah. Um, he was gifted as the governor of Judah, as it said in verse 21. He was given the authority to do this task. Um, governors, well, they're talented in administration, in communication, in getting big decisions made for the benefit of the people that they're looking after. Now, we're not all Zerubbabel's here. Uh, some of us may be incredibly gifted in administration and in making big decisions. Uh, some of us just are not. Neither are some of us like Haggai, who was gifted as a prophet. But God has given us gifts and talents to serve his kingdom. Now, I listened to um, Isaac's sermon last week, uh, where he encouraged you all to think about how you can serve the church. And I believe you have a meeting about this after the service today, and I like the sound of those sausage rolls. So let me encourage you uh, by saying that every single Christian is gifted with something to serve God. It could be in administration, it could be in uh, hospitality, uh, it could be in being part of the welcoming team with your big beaming smile. Or in the logistics side of things, like setting up the sound system, the, the chairs, um, doing the tea and coffee. It could even be in things like uh, reading the Bible out loud, uh, whether, you know, here at church, like with the Bible readings we had earlier, or at Bible study groups, or even in reading them. 
or when we pray over a meal, or when we meet to encourage another brother or sister in Christ. Whenever we do anything in the name of Jesus Christ, we are serving God. Now we all have different gifts and talents given by God so that we can serve the kingdom. And one of the best ways to serve God's kingdom is by continuing to come to church and being with other brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter how hard things get. For Hebrews 10 verses 23 to 25 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The task for the church today is not to rebuild a temple like in Haggai's day. Jesus gave the church the task to make baptize and grow disciples. The Great Commission, of course. Make, baptize, grow, make, baptize, grow, any copy, any place, been happening for the last 2,000 years. That is the ultimate task of the church today. And we are not to worry about anything else. God is looking after what's going on in the world. But he calls every believer a royal priest of the kingdom. We all have our part to play in the Great Commission. And whatever that part is, God makes every Christian like a signet ring to complete tasks under his authority for his kingdom. And so we have our answers. God has blessed his people with eternal life through Jesus Christ, that's a starting point. And we have been blessed by God so that we can live for him. And God has given us the wonderful privilege of serving him with gifts and talents that he has given us for the sake of his kingdom as we grow in the Lord Jesus together. This is how sinners can serve a holy God. Amen.